Hello again, I'm Drew McKenna, and with me is my beautiful wife, Deborah. Hello, I'd like to welcome you to Grafted Branches. Our podcast conversations are all about getting to know and understand Jesus in his Hebraic first century context. So Drew, where are we going with our listeners today? I thought we'd talk about his name and how important it is to not take it too lightly. And that brings me to the title of this podcast. If Jesus Christ is God's Son, is Christ God's last name? (laughs) I still can't believe you named the podcast that. Deborah, do you think it's important to know what these names and titles mean, though? Yes, I do. As I've learned more about ancient Hebraic ways and what names mean, I can understand that in our modern culture, we just don't think of names in the same way as our forefathers once did. Could you uh, expand a bit more on that? (laughs) Sure. For us, names really don't mean that much. We choose names for our children that are popular and sound cool. In everyday life, it seems they're a lot more of a way to identify people in a cold, organized manner. When we make a list of people's of people, we sort that list alphabetically, usually by last name. Somewhere it has been lost that our last name is a reference to the family we belong to or where we came from. Uh, these days it gets even worse as an employee of a large corporation because we become identified with a number, and that's not very personal, is it? No, it isn't. Not long ago, during World War II, the Jewish people were rounded up, stripped of their humanity, and had an identification number tattooed to them. But that's not what this podcast is all about, is it? No, it's not about the tragedy of the Holocaust, but that may be a reminder of how important names are. We are all people, and our names mean something, and even more so in ancient times. Let's make this naming thing even more personal. When we named our sons, why did we give them their names? Well, we wanted our sons' names to mean something to us. Exactly. Um, Now, do you remember who gave Jesus his name? Joseph was told to name him. In Matthew chapter 1, Joseph had a dream and is told to name Mary's son Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And then he's reminded of what Isaiah said. And they shall call his name Emmanuel. After his birth, Joseph named him Jesus. Isn't it interesting the prophet Isaiah said people would call him Emmanuel, and then Joseph names him Jesus. What I'd like to do is, uh, I looked it up in Hebrew, Emmanuel is really two words, and it does not appear to be actually used as a name. Rather, it is a two-word proclamation, which means... God is with us in this person. And if our listeners remember what a remez is, they'll look up these references in Isaiah. What they'll find is a short description of the Messiah. Quote, From a very young age, he will not only know the difference between evil and good, he will refuse evil and chose, or excuse me, choose good. So why did Joseph name him Jesus, one of the most common names given to boys in his day? Jesus' name in Hebrew is Yeshua. It comes from two words, Yah, a shortened version of what we know as Jehovah, and Shua, a Hebrew word meaning to save or deliver. The image is of 
a shepherd finding and saving one of his flocks. Combined, the name Jesus means Jehovah saves or God saves. Considering the expectations of the day, it would make sense that Joseph understood that the baby he was holding was the Messiah, and through him God would save his people. Wasn't there someone else in the Old Testament also named Yeshua? Yes, Moses changed the name of Hoshea, son of Nun, to Joshua, pronounced Yahshua in Hebrew. Hoshea means salvation, and Joshua, as we say in English, means the Lord saves. Joshua is the man who would lead the people out of the desert into the promised land. Before Joshua led the people across the river and into the land, it is recorded that God said to him, Do not stumble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua led the people out of the desert. And that brings us to the similarities. God is with Joshua, and by leading the people into the promised land, he's figuratively saving people from the sins which kept them in the desert. Jesus is God with us, and he saves his people from their sins and leads them to the kingdom of heaven. Yes, Moses recognized uh, there was a need for Israel to have a new man to lead them. So he did the right thing. He asked God. God told Moses to commission Joshua and the anointed high priest laid hands on him. While he may not have been uh, anointed with oil, having it poured on him, in a sense, Joshua was anointed by the high priest when he put his hands on him in front of all of Israel. The high priest and only the high priest, though, are called Hamashim, the anointed ones. In English, it's translated into Messiahs, and Greek, Christos, or Christ. No matter which language is being used, the term is a title given to someone and literally means the anointed one. In the Ten Commandments, God told this to the people. Do not take the name of the Lord in vain. Literally, we could translate it this way. Do not use the name of Jehovah your God in a worthless or common way, except there's only one problem. In a sense, God doesn't have a formal name. Mm -hmm. In Genesis, God is called Elohim, and we see him as a powerful creator of the universe. El is a shortened form of Elohim. Later in Genesis, Melchizedek calls God El Elyon, which means God Most High, the sovereign ruler over all the universe. Then, a couple of chapters later, Hagar, who has been rejected, mistreated, and afraid, calls God Elroy because he saw her and delivered her in her desperation. El Shaddai, not just El, a power, but a very significant power. Think about it. God had publicly displayed great power in the days of Abraham. An example would be the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. People would have spoken of God as El Shaddai, a being possessing great might. Yes, but this isn't the whole picture. In the Exodus story, the discussions at the burning bush and later, just before the plagues begin, are discussions about identity. At the burning bush, Moses asks God about his name. Basically, he is saying, the people will want to know who you are. What shall I tell them? And later, just before the ten plagues begin, God comes back to the issue of names and tells Moses that he is revealing himself to the world using a new name. 
I was amazed when you taught this to our study group. I hadn't noticed it before. In Exodus 6, God speaks to Moses and says, I am YHWH. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as El Shaddai. But my name spelled yod Hey vav Hey. I did not make known to them. God had revealed his name in a new way to his people, Yahweh, as we say in English. Many Christians pronounce it Jehovah, and it is often translated into our English Bibles as Lord. I think it's a bit ironic that right before the ten plagues were to be unleashed on Egypt, events which are probably the greatest demonstration of power ever seen in human history, and yet God makes it clear that El Shaddai, the God of great power, is not his name. It doesn't define him. The essence of God is about something else. It's about being yad heh vav or Jehovah. God says, I am that which I am. There is no other way to define God other than in the terms of himself. I am past, present, and the future existence, simultaneously experienced all at once. You see, God exists outside of time because he is the creator of time. That's a bit mind-bending. Our listeners might be wondering, if God isn't understandable in this world terms, if you can't touch him or feel him, then how are we supposed to relate to him? Well, we can relate to God through his actions. The Bible is a record of God's interactions with humans, helping us to understand what we can about him. Deborah, would you give just a few of these names found in scriptures that help us begin to comprehend who God is? Sure, I'll give you just a few. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Raha, the Lord my shepherd. Jehovah Mekodeshem, the Lord who sets you apart. I think we often take these names too simply, ignoring the story around them. When we do that, we miss the rich meaning of God's character. Let me explain. For example, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord your healer, is spoken of in Exodus 15. Listen to the story. When the Jewish people arrived at Marah, after walking three days in the wilderness and could not find water, they discovered that the only accessible water was bitter, and they complained bitterly. Moses was instructed to throw a tree into the water, which miraculously made the water sweet. God then tells them to pay attention to his instructions, do what is right in his sight, and listen to his voice, for I am the Lord your healer. Why then would God call himself the Lord your healer after turning the bitter water into sweet? What does one thing have to do with the other? Yes, it does seem strange. Uh, We need to ask ourselves, why isn't God called the God who leads us to water? Or maybe the God who takes our bitterness away. In the Middle East, where sources of fresh water are limited, life is often symbolized by water. This miracle demonstrates a concept that the way we experience life itself can often become bitter. But it doesn't have to remain so. Allowing bitterness to grow in our hearts can lead to many destructive behaviors. But with God's help, there is sweetness. 
It seems to me that it's very important to God that we begin to comprehend his character, who he is, by the names given to him in the stories about him in Scripture. What then does it mean to use any of the names of God in a common or trivial way? Could it be that uh, by repeating them as if they were some sort of mystical, magical formula in prayer, we made them worthless? I think the answer is we ignore God's role in all of these attributes, and then we often ascribe these names and attributes to popular trends. What if we use a name so often it becomes meaningless to us? Just look how often Jesus Christ is used in our everyday life. You know, I would speculate many, if not the majority, of the people who regularly attend church or have a profession of Christianity think Christ is actually the last name of Jesus. Yes, Christ is not a last name. It's a title like president or prime minister. In the book of Luke, Joseph was told Jesus is the anointed one who will save his people. To anoint something or someone with oil is a very special act in his visible, a visible sign The person has been set aside for something special. In the case of the high priest, only descendants of Aaron's family line could be anointed. Starting with Saul, the kings of Israel were anointed, which brings us to Messiah, the anointed one. Whether we use the Hebrew word Hamashiach in English, Messiah, in Greek, Christos, or Christ, as we say in English, All of these titles have the same meaning. Messiah is a title designated the one who leads and rules a kingdom of people. Yes. Christ is not a last name. Christ or Messiah is a title referring to a person who rules, set aside to speak to and lead God's people. What is interesting is not all of Israel's kings are anointed with oil by a priest and in front of people. According to Hebraic teaching and tradition, the only time a king is anointed is when there is a change in dynasty or there was some controversial uh, concerning the king's appointment. It's important to understand Messiah or Christ means a person is anointed or set apart to lead God's people. Let's review a few things. Jesus' name means God saves. Messiah or Christ means anointed one. So whenever we read or say Jesus Christ or Yeshua HaMashiach, in Hebrew we are literally saying Jesus the anointed one. I think the problem is there are a lot of confusion about what the role of Messiah is. We tend to see Jesus as our Savior who died for our sins and now we have eternal life. But we've neglected the fact that as Messiah we need to make him Lord. Messiah's role is to rule people, his people, in justice and righteousness, to lead by example for those of us to follow, to correctly interpret God's word and teach others how to live it out in daily living. You know, I think you've nailed it. Unfortunately, it seems many understand Messiah only as saving us from our sins, escaping hell, and going to heaven. The truth is, anointed kings and messiahs lead people and nations in the present. Biblical as well as more modern examples demonstrate how they lead has a huge effect on both the present and the future. And that brings us back to Jesus and what Joseph was told about him. 
He knows to refuse evil and choose good. Deborah, do you remember where we may have heard something uh, about knowing good and evil before? (laughs) You're referring to what happened in the Garden of Eden, aren't you? Where Adam and Eve, after eating the fruit they were instructed not to, now have the knowledge of good and evil. They chose evil by not listening to God and instead listened to their own inner voices. Yes, what I find important to understand is Messiah, God with us, will know to refuse or reject evil and carefully choose good. He, does, he doesn't just choose between evil and good. He rejects the evil choice completely. It seems like these days our choices for almost everything, especially when voting for our leaders, is more about choosing between the lesser of two evils than it is about choosing good. Yes, it is. And the best part about Jesus, our Messiah, is we can trust his leadership in the present as well as the future. But let me ask you and our listeners this. How does one become saved? I think the most common answer people give is this. I believe Jesus died for my sins and paid the price for them. However, we tend to forget that Paul in his letter to those living in Rome taught, If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The word Lord is active and in the present, and not just a title or or referring to the future. We need to ask ourselves, have we really made him Lord? Mm -hmm. And Paul goes on to say, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Notice that he said, by the word of Christ. I think the Roman listeners... Uh, We're beginning to understand what the concept of Christ or Messiah is. But again, we need to ask ourselves, do we know what he taught well enough to follow him as Lord? Let's make sure we get this straight for our listeners. When asked, what must I do to be saved? Paul's answer is really simple. Believe and then make the living Jesus your Lord. It is important to understand, he also said, it comes by understanding Jesus is Messiah, or Christ. And what that means to me is, Messiah always chooses good and fully understands and rejects evil for his people. Deborah, how should lords, kings, leaders guide their citizens? Well, ideally, they are supposed to bring order, direction, and prosperity to their people. They do it by teaching people the best way to live together as a kingdom. Yes, but what if people decide to live in the kingdom and yet don't listen to the king's teachings or directions? What would happen? They would watch and learn from the people who live around them, the ones who refuse to live under the king's leadership, and soon they would look and act just like their neighbors. They would have zero connection or understanding of the king or his rule. They would look just like those who refuse the king. My exact thoughts. If we call Jesus Lord, shouldn't we know what he taught and the scriptures he taught from? We should. But I think most of us don't grow past the avoiding hell part. Unfortunately, most of us were never taught what it means to make him Lord. We don't realize that the kingdom of heaven is at the heart and center of Jesus' preaching. Mm Mm-hmm. We're a lot like Adam and Eve when they were in God's garden. We really want to live in the kingdom and yet 
do things our own way. The benefits of the king are very attractive, but we really don't want to live under his rule. Now that we know Messiah is Lord and King, in our next podcast, we'll talk about one of my favorite subjects, the first century Jewish idiom, Kingdom of Heaven, what it meant and how Jesus' audience would have understood it. True. Anything else you want to leave our listeners with? Yes. Before we say goodbye to them, I want to review what we've talked about in this podcast. Christ is not the last name of Jesus. It's a title, meaning the anointed one. And as the Christ or Messiah, he is the Lord and King of all who follow him. You are right. What an important and simple thing to remember. Our time is running short. I hope you understand. Our life goal is to get to know our Lord, desire to hear and follow what he is teaching us. For more information and resources to help you grow in your walk with our Messiah, check out our website at graftedbranches.org. And that is why I always want to end with these words. Get to know him, what he taught, and then go live him.